And then we see the idolaters beginning to start acting like they worship God. And then even so becoming worshipers of God. It's incredible. There's immense irony in this book. And we've seen this in the first chapter as we've read it. We saw how Jonah was approached by God and told, hey, Jonah, I want to use you. There's some idolaters over in Nineveh. They're a nasty group of people. They're terrible. You know what they do. You know what they're made of, but I want you to go prophesy to them and tell them that what they've been doing deserves my wrath. And what does Jonah do? He runs from God and runs from obeying God. And then we see Jonah going deeper. It keeps describing Jonah as taking these steps down. He goes uh, down uh, to uh, Joppa, gets on a boat. He gets on the boat. He goes down into the boat. Then he goes down into a deep sleep. And then the first half of this book or the first narrative section ends with Jonah going even deeper into the ocean. And so Jonah's just, he's just been rebelling. He's just said, you know what? I'm not going to follow God. I'm going to do what I think is best. That's the irony. All the while, the sailors, whose lives were threatened by Jonah's disobedience, they turn to God. They start following God. So there is immense irony in this book. And if you've been alive long enough, you've probably learned there is immense irony in you, in me. Especially Christians. You see, Jonah is a picture of us. The sailors are also a picture of us. Nineveh is also a picture of us. Isn't it true that most of us know the right we should do? We know the way God would want us to behave. We know the things God would want us to do. We know the Great Commission. You and I know the Great Commission that Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of the whole earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We know what our Lord told us. But how many of us really are doing what he's told us to do? He's also told us to, as husbands, me personally, hey, live with your wife in an understanding way. How many of us husbands live with our wives in understanding ways? What about within the church? There's church conflicts. People disagree with one another. God says through the Apostle Paul, hey, church, you should be in unity. You should look to the interests of other people. You should look to the interests of the rest of the church rather than your own interests. But how many of us don't do that? You see, we ourselves are walking irony, just like Jonah is. Jonah is a picture of us. The idolaters are a picture of us, how we need to be saved. Nineveh is a picture of us. They need to be saved. We need to be saved. But what's interesting about all of these characters is every single one of them, even Jonah, realized their desperation. They realized holy guacamole I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing and if you've become a Christian 
like really authentically believed the gospel and understood what the gospel says that you deserve the wrath of God for your sin and if you've been humbled by that reality and you have turned to Jesus you know you needed to be saved and so all of us are desperate whether we're idolaters or whether we're God worshipers I'll explain some ways we are desperate as God worshipers but the point is for you and me God wants us to turn not to Facebook not to entertainment not to pridefully trying to get ourselves out of a situation God wants us to turn to him in our desperation not to idols not to idols and we see this in Jonah's story so I told you how Jonah disobeyed God and then he just kept getting going deeper and deeper and deeper all the while God's trying to pursue him sending a storm and then it, it, the climax is when Jonah gets thrown into the ocean <laughs> that's what I call hitting rock bottom hitting rock bottom literally well not the bottom of the ocean but <laughs> he was about to drown Jonah was about to drown and he did tell them to throw him in but we'll read in a moment how Jonah realized he didn't want to die in the ocean <laughs> he didn't want to die in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea so we saw the sailors hit rock bottom they call out to God after they throw Jonah in they devote their life to God and then Jonah's now at his rock bottom moment being thrown into the ocean alone in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea he is now face to face with this reality I've made a mess with my life you felt that way I've made a mess with my life I've been running from God and now I'm about to die that's literally what Jonah's faced with he's about to die and this is where we find Jonah so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to I don't have any real points I'm just going to walk through the text with you and let's see how it applies to us let's start in verse 17 so remember Jonah's in the water he's about to drown and this is what it says verse 17 and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah the, the fish didn't just go off rogue and say hey, hey there's a guy I'm going to swallow it no it says the Lord appointed this fish for Jonah God wants to use this fish <laughs> just like God wanted to use Jonah the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights let me say something quickly and get it out of the way this is a miracle purely a miracle I'm not going to waste my time trying to scientifically explain to you how someone can survive in the fish honestly I don't know even the best arguments still make no sense to me but the book this book I'm reading from is not just filled with one verse with a guy getting swallowed by a fish and 
living for three days. It's filled with a God creating everything out of nothing. A God creating human beings from the dirt. A God healing people with skin diseases. A God healing people with withered hands. A God who heals blind people and deaf people. A God who resurrects the dead. We can't come to this book and try to make sense of it based on what the world interpret, how the world interprets it, interprets it, because it's not going to make any sense. When we come to this book, we have to come with the understanding this is a supernatural book. The whole premise behind God's existence is that He is outside of our realm of science and normal day-to-day events. He's God. He's in a class of his own. We're not God. Some of you have seen some pretty cool things God can do. Some of you have seen miracles. I've seen some. But the Bible is a book of miracles. So let's just set that aside, and I pray that you will come to the rest of this story and ignore this, not ignore, but just accept this one verse for what it is, a miracle. Verse 1 of chapter 2. <laughs> then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. <laughs> I love this because God has been pursuing Jonah, and Jonah has been running as fast as he can to get away from this God, and now he can't go anywhere. I mean, picture yourself for a moment inside of a fish. It's dark. It's slimy. There's probably little air to breathe. You can't move. I can't go anywhere. He's, God has literally brought him to a place where he can't escape him. He's got he's to have a conversation with God now. He has no other choice. God stopped him from running. And so now Jonah is saying, okay, God, here we are. Maybe you've been here. (laughs) Some events have brought you to a place where you're just like, God, I don't have anywhere else to go. Here we are. (laughs) Here I am, God. And he said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you hear my voice. So here, Jonah describes to us that when he was in the water... I don't know how long he was in the water, maybe an hour or two. He was probably getting really tired, but it says that was his, he was in distress. He's talking about in the past, I was in distress and I called out to Yahweh. About to drown, and he says, God save me. God save me. And then a fish swallows him. Well, couldn't you have sent the Coast Guard? <laughs> the Mediterranean Coast Guard? So Jonah called out to God while he was in the water. That's what this tells us. And God heard him. And God saved him through a fish. Probably the most unlikely 
unimaginable source of salvation for him. A fish. And God uses it to save him. So in your distress, in your hard place, if you're calling on God, God can hear you. And God can provide for you. And sometimes, like in Jonah's situation, his means of salvation will come in the form of something absolutely remarkable, absolutely unexpected, and in fact, a little slimy. But God hears, and he can rescue. I remember the moment I realized my desperation for God's salvation. I had been pursuing all the things this world had. I was doing drugs. I was getting drunk. I was chasing girls. I was living for pleasure. And when I realized that none of these things were going to satisfy me, and in fact, the girl I was chasing just started chasing other people, I was at a rock bottom moment. I was in the sea. I mean, it really felt like that. It really felt like I was about to drown. And I read the book of Matthew in, the, in that time. And I saw how Jesus was perfect and good and awesome. And Jesus had a rock bottom moment that he didn't deserve. I deserved his rock bottom moment. But yet he took it and died on a cross. And I realized, holy cow God, I deserve what Jesus got. And in that desperation, in that time of complete utter like all hope had been lost there was this flash of bright light a glimmer of hope and I saw Jesus and I called Jesus and I said Jesus save me I'm so sorry and he saved me he changed my life and there are people in this room who have similar stories similar stories of realizing their desperation and how their eternal destiny was terrible and they called out to God and he did something amazing God can save you God saved me God saved Jonah's life and I'll tell you what calling out to God for salvation through a crucified Lord and King a seemingly defeated King is an incredibly I mean, dumbfounding means of salvation. To think that our salvation comes through a dead king who then gets resurrected. I mean, it's unheard of. People believe salvation comes from a war horse. They believe salvation comes from a conquering sword. But our salvation comes from a savior who dies but then is resurrected. Just like Jonah's fish was an absolutely, I mean, foolishness. I mean, people read this book and they think that's foolish. Just as Jonah's fish was a means of salvation and it's counted as foolishness by the world, so is Christ's death and resurrection seemingly foolish to the world outside. But it is a means of salvation, just like Jonah's fish. So we can call out to God and he can save us.
But it has to be when we realize our desperation, our one place to turn really is God. In verse 3. For you cast me into the deep. Let me start over. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. He's literally now in the heart of the seas, inside of this fish. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So Jonah's doing two things. He's acknowledging that God's means of salvation with the fish was appointed by God. And also God's mean, means of getting Jonah to his desperation was a form of discipline for the prophet. And that's how it works in the Christian life too. I'm convinced that most American Christians are miserable because they don't realize truly how desperate they are for God and how much they really need God. And God, because of His Holy Spirit dwelling in us, produces grief in us. And then, if you read the book, while well, we went through 1 Peter last year, we see how the trials and circumstances of life all of these things for the Christian, whether it's, I mean, being persecuted for your faith, like many of us have experienced, whether it's a cancer, whether it's a really hard marriage, all of these things are a means of discipline for us to grow us more and more like Jesus and to realize our complete need of him and dependence on him. And God used a storm and several other fa factors to get to Jonah's heart, to bring him to this point of desperation so that he would call upon God. Let me, let me tell you something. Parent. Mom, dad. You cannot make your children Christians. You can't make them. Even if you raise them in the good home, even if you discipline them, you can't bring about Holy Spirit birth in them. You can't do it. Wives, you can't make your husband do what you want him to do or even act as if he loves you. You can't make him do it. You have no power to change his heart. You have no power to do that. Husbands, you have absolutely no power to change your wife's heart if she's treating you like dirt. You have no power. Absolutely none. Personal example, when I preach, my goal, I mean, I, I, I battle the temptation to make a really good sermon or a really, really good points or to use good words to impress people. That temptation's there. But when I look at Jesus and reorient my heart, 
my aim becomes seeing you go from apathy to worship. That's my goal for you. When I preach, when I get up here, I really want you to fall more in love with Jesus. That's my one aim. If anything could happen with the preaching, just one thing, I pray, is that you would fall in love with Jesus more or fall in love with him for the first time. But here's the thing. No matter how hard I try, no matter how eloquent I am, I can't change your heart. I can't. So in all of these things, the only place we can turn is to God. And God's trying to teach Jonah this. If Jonah's afraid of the Ninevites killing him for preaching the gospel to them, he can't stop them. Only God can. I mean, look what running did for him. It ended him up in the Mediterranean Sea without a life jacket. You and I, if we want to see God do amazing things, we can't trust in ourselves. We cannot trust the government to do it. We cannot trust our wives to do it, our husbands to do it. We can't trust in anything else but God. Absolutely none. And what that means for us is we need to pray. Because this is what Jonah's doing. This majority of scripture that I'm reading to you is a prayer and a song. It's a prayer of desperation and hope. It's a prayer hoping that God will come through, but it's also a prayer of praise. Because look at how he ended verse 4. Yet, yet, this stinks, this is hard, but yet, yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. He ends in hope. And then as we continue reading these, and we've seen before in the last couple of verses, he's always ending it with praise of God. So Jonah's experiencing discipline to bring him to the point where he realizes he needs God. He did the same thing to the sailors, and he's going to do the same thing to the Ninevites. They're going to come to a point where they realize, holy cow, I need God. So if you're here this morning, and you've been running from God You've been finding your satisfaction in things that aren't him. You've been turning to idols to satisfy your wants or to come through for you. Please turn to Jesus. I got to go on another tangent. We as a church, how, all right, let's get a show of hands and I hope there's not a hand down. Let's get a show of hands. How many of us want this church to grow? Me too. How many of us want to see people walking through that door wanting to hear the gospel and be saved? Raise your hand. We can't do it on our own. Church, we can't do it on our own. How many of us want to see more younger people in here? Guess what? You can't rely on us too to do it. 
We can't do it for you. We're not your God. You're going to need to turn to God. You're going to need to pray. We're going to need to, as a church, gather together and pray. That's what they did in Acts. Maybe, let me just be quite frank with you. We've seen an increase in our growth at our our church. But we've kind of hit this plateau. Pastor Dave and I were talking about it last week. There's a plateau. We're we're like, okay, what, what is this? And other churches experience this. We've kind of hit a brick wall, I think. I'm convinced by what the Bible teaches and what I've experienced that the only way we're going to break through that barrier is by praying and turning to God in this distress that we are in. Maybe it's God's discipline for us to hit a plateau. Maybe God is trying to get our attention to say, hey guys, guess what? It's not just going to be Pastor Caleb and Pastor Dave going out and making disciples. Guess what? It's not going to be just people mysteriously showing up. You're going to really have to call on me. I want to meet with you. Maybe God's saying that to our church. When's the last time we had a really packed out prayer meeting? Maybe God's trying to get our attention. Get us in there on our knees. Maybe on a Wednesday night in this room singing these same songs and crying out to God to do something amazing. What if God's trying to get us to do that? I want to, if that's what he wants to do, I want to do it. And I think that's what he's wanting us to do. I think that's what he's wanting us to do. Verse four, or excuse me, verse five. The waters closed in over me to take my life. So he's talking about, I'm back in the water. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. Now he's gonna shift gears. He's gonna talk as if he's actually dead. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I mean, this is like hopeless, hopeless scenario. I'm dead, God. This is gonna kill me. But when all hope seems lost, God rescues. That's what it says next. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. You brought my life up from the pit. When all hope seemed lost for Jonah, when it was just out of his control, out of his hands, just like many things in our lives are out of our control and out of our hands, God can rescue. What if we had an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And this is God's prerogative. He can say, do what he wants to do. I'm not gonna say, God, you need to do this, but what if God, by our calling out to him as a church in prayer and in worship, what if he poured out the blessing of changed lives and growth? My primary goal, personally, in my heart, is not a a larger number of people, but it's deeper worship. Because I believe deeper worship produces a larger worship. People get their lives changed. Their lives start changing. All of a sudden, they want to tell people about Christ. 
They're reaching out to God. God's doing incredible things. And next thing you know, it's a revival. That's how it happened. I mean, the Great Awakening with Jonathan Edwards and the, uh, all those preachers of the day, uh, George McDonald and all those people preaching. It started with prayer. We could look at our church and think, well, we've hit this plateau. Man, all hope seems lost. And that's my temptation. But it's not. <laughs> if we call on God, he can do something incredible. Maybe you have a family member who's just really walking away from the Lord. Doesn't want to obey the Bible. Doesn't want to obey the gospel. Man, if you realize your desperation, you start calling on to God. Maybe he'll do something. You've already tried changing it yourself. You've already tried reeling them in. Well, maybe you should cry out to God in prayer, in supplication, because when all hope seems lost, God can rescue. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. <laughs> I remembered the Lord. We should do that. Hope seems lost, but I'm going to remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your home, holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Remember I told you, there are only two types of people in this world. There are idolaters and God worshipers. We want to be God worshipers. Here's why. Jonah's telling us a very clear message. If we follow after vain idols, whatever that idol is in our life, it could be something different. It could be your job. It could be your family. It could be your spouse. It could be your position. If you're following after a vain idol, you're essentially forsaking all the incredible hope and blessings that are available to you in Jesus Christ. You're essentially saying, God, I would rather have this satisfy me, this give me that love that I really desire. I'd rather have this, and guess what? All idols across the board, whether they're made of wood, whether they're made of plastic and metal in China, whether they're, <laughs> whether they're flesh and bone, all idols will leave you without God's love and provision. That's what idolatry gets you. And as Christians, we acknowledge that God has saved us through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we worship him alone. But a lot of times, we still go back. C.S. Lewis said, it's like we're making pies in the mud. And we're like, this is great. When an awesome, delicious apple pie is just sitting over there on the kitchen table, and we could go being be enjoying that we've settled for so much less and I'll tell you this when we settle for less than God we're wasting our lives we don't want to waste our lives we want to enjoy God we want to worship God we want to look to God we want to look to God for his help for his empowerment to do his will we want to look to God and worship 
So Christians, it's possible for you to indulge back into idolatry. Don't do it. Look at Jonah. He's supposed to be the God worshiper. And he's acting like an idolater. He's essentially idolizing his preferences in his plan. While the real physical idolaters are turning to God. Don't let that be our, let's not let that be our church. Let, let that not be us coming on a Sunday morning and that's it for us. Missing out on what God could do for us and do through us. Let's not miss out on that. Let's not secretly have these idols in our hearts and forsake God and not remember him and not turn to him to do things. All the while, God's still doing a movement because God's not gonna stop his movement He's not going to stop him bringing people to Christ. He's not going to stop saving people. He's not going to stop doing incredible things in this world. We could be in here, the God worshipers, and really be practicing idolatry. All the while, God is out there doing something incredible, and we're missing out on it. Let's not miss out on it. Church, let's not miss out on it. I don't want to miss out on it. Do you want to miss out on it? I don't think you do. I don't think you do either. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of love. Let us not do that, God. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, God. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So here, Jonah ends his song prayer with this declaration. God, I'm acknowledging this stuff. I'm bringing it to you. God, your ways are better than mine. I do need you. And I'm going to just give you a little preview. Jonah's still going to start acting up <laughs> like we do. I mean, how many of us have an excellent time with God here on a Sunday morning, and then we leave here and we're just yelling at our spouse? Or, <laughs> you know, going back to the things that we were indulging in before we got here. How many of us do that? Well, Jonah's having a great moment with God. He's acknowledging it. He's getting his heart, supposedly getting his heart right. But get, I'll tell you what, in the next couple chapters, we're going to see Jonah just being like, I was only half serious. That's sad. I don't want us to be half serious. Let's not be half serious, church. Let's not be half serious. What I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's God's salvation. In verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Jonah started in the ocean, thought he was going to drown then he was in a slimy wet dark belly of a fish and then after praying really humbling himself before God declaring his need of God the fish delivers him to dry land can you believe it took it says let me see It says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's how verse 17 starts. Verse 10 of chapter 2 kind of makes it point, say that it was after these three days of being in the fish that Jonah prayed. It took Jonah three days in a fish. I'm telling you what, if I'd gotten in that fish, day one, I would have been like, God, this stinks. I'd rather have what you have for me. But it took Jonah three days. I, I think that's what the text indicates. So 
I hope that this sermon and Jonah's story, while today's day one, I hope it doesn't take you to Tuesday to call out to God and just acknowledge God you need to God that you need him. I hope it doesn't take you till Tuesday or even 2020. I hope it doesn't take you till 2020 to start pursuing God and praying. Let's not procrastinate this stuff. So if you're here this morning and you know you've been procrastinating, pursuing God, getting right with God. Maybe you are a Christian already and you're just like, I've just been like,